Find Your Feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. Hey everyone and welcome back to the Find Your Feet podcast. Um, obviously my name's Hanny Olsen and I've been running the podcast now for about a year and a half, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, first of all, I feel like I probably need to apologize for the, the break in episodes, um, I guess, like, after we got to the big Ultra Trail Australia events that we were helping so many people towards, it also felt like hibernation time for Hanny. Um, I guess when I launched the podcast, it was, like, a huge amount of enthusiasm, and, and that definitely hasn't gone anywhere, but I was on a, on a roll getting the episodes out every week and, like, just had so many ideas, but I think it's been really good just slowing down a little bit and having a good chat with uh, the team here at Find Your Feet and with my husband, Graham, to really think about like why I'm trying to do the podcast. And for me, the essence of it all is that I'm trying to help people to find their feet. And I want to make sure that whatever I'm putting out educationally into the community is a quality that helps people on that journey. So therefore, like more recently, I guess I've been taking some time to put some work into the preparation of our 2019 trail running tours and also towards um, a, a, lot of, a lot of writing. Um, I'm in the process of getting ready to release my newly produced and edited trail running guidebook, which is coming out as a paperback, um, as well as Kindle and online digital versions. Um, but I'm also writing another book at the moment, which is taking up a lot of... Um, emotional energy in a positive but also in a challenging way as well um further to that i guess like really working hard with the team here and i'm super excited to um be able to say and let you all know that find your feet has been nominated as a finalist in the telstra business awards so um we're definitely i think they called us small and succeeding like we're definitely kicking some goals and we're like really excited in the way the teams work together but it's definitely meant that things have been quite busy behind the scenes down here um today's podcast has been long overdue jess and i've had this one ready to go for a very long time um but we we finally found the time to sit down with a wood fire going and have a discussion on the topic of injuries so I hope you really like the podcast and um, we'll jump straight into it with Jess and myself after a, a few um, errors and mishaps along the way we finally hit record and got the ball rolling. We hope you love the conversation. Thanks, Tim. Now we're recording. <laughs> oh, man. I just had this thought and I was like, I wonder if we just looked at the things going up and down and then like the, button, the sound bars going up and down and then we never hit record. And I was like, maybe I'll just, because we covered Hanny's, like we covered the little thing with Hanny's scarf and we're like, we won't look at it so we don't see the bars. Yeah. And then I just had this thought, maybe I should pull it up and just check. To see <laughs> that if we're, we're recording. recording. And we yeah, were. we're not recording, Jess. Yes. Well, we are now. We are so now. Yeah, technology is, um, is not not my strong point at least i speak for myself there um we're actually trialing out some new a new system at the moment because we had some feedback about the audio quality which we we knew and um so now we're we've gone to lapel mics and we're stepped up in the world of audio and and so it's all a bit new for us and and (laughs) (laughs) so we're feeling very professional as we sit at honey's like kitchen bench with a fire going on a mountain in the cabin (laughs) and hoping someone's going to listen to this podcast 
Oh, well, we had just got really excited about the tours that are coming up, Jess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We, um, oh, man, I feel like you guys are going to hate us because we'll be repeating everything, but we're not because we're now recording. That was our practice run. Um, the one where we weren't recording, we were talking oh. for maybe like 25 minutes and, and now... Now we're going to give you the, the summary version, <laughs> the perfected version. Well, so I think what we were trying to tell and infer is that there has been a break in the podcast recently. Yes. And that was simply because we have um, been up to the Ultra Trail Australia, which was a big like momentum build that we had going on to help people get there. And um, were overwhelmed when we got there by the amount of support and love that we were feeling yeah. from the community. Oh, and just the best people. Like, yeah. so humble and everyone was just wanting to do their best and they yeah. were just excited and nervous. And What really excited um, me was that um, we actually took one of our brand reps, so <laughs> our icebreaker rep, um, from the shop, uh, she came and actually helped out on the Find Your Feet store, which was hilarious watching her sell Patagonia and North Face and <laughs> all their other brands. Are you competitive brands. right now. <laughs> yeah, but I love that she came away and not only felt the vibe of our community, but it was quite um, amazed by what a trail runner was. And I've got my little quotation mark yeah. fingers going because there, you know, there was just people from all walks of life, all ages of life you know, all shapes and sizes, all distances, um, all different mental approaches, be it really relaxed and chirpy and, you know, almost humorous about what they were going on to do and other people who were nervous. And like, I loved that spectrum mm. and I love that she loved that about it as well. And as you know, Jess, like we've always tried not to be performance focused, but to help people to achieve the best versions of themselves and doing the things they love. And um, and I felt like maybe we were starting to really kick some goals there, which was cool. Yeah. 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 So we did that. And, and this podcast has always been um, on our radar. We wanted to do it since we started this kind of like UTA podcast series. And um, I think like now is probably actually a really great time. Um, you know, it's kind of after UTA and the, and the excitement. Maybe people are starting to look more towards, you know, like what they're going to do. Um, next or or reflect on how they performed and 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 or how they played and and figure out you know where they want to go forward and yeah and yeah and I'm really excited that um, I hope people are taking time in that phase I really do I don't think that you should be rushing into like what that next goal is mm. um, I think the more you rush the more risk you bring and the risk can be injury, but it can also be jumping into something that isn't really what your heartstrings are calling for. Yeah. And what makes your toes tingle, it might be more an act of like emptiness when you don't have that goal in place. Yeah. And you're trying to plug that hole <laughs> yeah. with something else. Um, but there's a real beauty in that time because that's where you learn so much about yourself and you yeah. can grow. Yeah. yeah. So as people have been doing that and learning and growing and resting, <laughs> you've been a, well, we've been busy little beavers working away for the um, planning our Find Your Feet tours for yeah. 2019. And we have some 
super exciting places yeah um, that you're gonna take us to next year uh, do you want to talk i'm to so excited that? i like i i feel like if i start like talking about these i'm gonna sound like i'm bragging but i'm just like literally that excited genuinely in my yeah. toes about these tours this year and i think that 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 excitement is coming because they feel so authentically us um mm. and probably for the first time ever like rather than searching for like oh where next where next but it came out of a really deep calling to take people to these places. So the first one off the ranks is obviously Tassie in April. Um, we're going back to the mountains uh, that I'm this year, I want to take people wilder and we'll be heading into the depths of the walls of Jerusalem National Park and also Cradle. But we're going in autumn when all the autumn leaves are turning. And it's just a remarkable thing that's so unique to Tasmania. So mm. that's five-day tour um, and for everyone of all abilities we'd love to have them there the second one is in June and we're heading back to Italy um, Italy is a place close to my heart because I've had I've like I've had so many rich life experiences there and really like change like life-defining moments there um, I've spent time there with Graham my husband um, running around in the mountains and that was where we first believed in the concept of taking people overseas Mm. Um, so we were running around and the marmots were like waking us up in the morning and then chirping off their rocks and there's all these pretty little pencil pine trees like perfect little trees and little boulders and the sun shines and you can lie on the grass and sleep by a waterfall and we were like man like we have to bring people back here <laughs> and not to mention the pizza so um so yeah heading back there but really trying to take people to places they wouldn't take themselves in yeah. italy and northern italy so lakes and mountains and the Dolomites, it's gonna be spectacular. And then um, one day rest, no rest of the wicked, and then we're heading straight down to Albania, so that marks the very beginning of July, and we've got a 10-day tour planned in Albania. And Albania came on the radar because we, um, we had a gentleman by the name of Rock who came, Rock, it's really unusual, but he came to <laughs> Tassie. Um, I can't even re honestly remember why, no, I do remember. So he is a river conservationist, um, really batting hard in Albania to save the last wild river of Europe, which is called the Viosa River. It runs straight through the heart of the mountains and a lot of these really small villages that we'll be visiting. Um, he knew that Tasmania had successfully managed to save the Franklin River. Um, and that was back in the 70s. And a lot of the people who worked on that campaign, and actually my father was someone who was um, involved in the campaigning as well as a lawyer, um, lived in Tassie and he needed to come here to meet these people to learn what or to find out what he could learn from them so he spoke in the find your feet store and when we were there one of the women um, came up to me and said that she just got back from Albania she showed me some photos and told me that her daughter runs a guest house there and we realized really quickly that we needed to take people there mm -hmm. and so it's taken like a lot of years of planning but we finally got there so 2019 albania 10 days mountains luggage transported by mules and pack horses um living with the families eating like the local food running in the mountains it's gonna be so exciting so exciting so, so, exciting. so exciting and we actually have um all that ready to go like that yeah. people can now jump on the website and have a look at the itineraries and emails any questions that they have and yeah. And if you want to put all your life savings into the pockets of Find Your Feet, there is, a, <laughs> there is a discount if you do want to do both Italy and Albania. It would make a lot of sense and what a lot of our tourists or our travellers are saying is that it's cheaper to actually 
come with us because um, of, of the fact that you're sharing your costs across a whole group. Yeah. So really happy if people want that, they need to reach out to send me an email through the website and I'll be in touch. Yeah, cool. So now that that's all out of the way, <laughs> we maybe we'll start talking about the, the main topic of our podcast, which is actually injuries. Mm. Um, and I think it would be really interesting to start with uh, overuse injuries because mm. that was kind of flagged as one of the most common injuries that trail runners do face is this kind of like a too too much um and then the muscles kind of yeah overuse, <laughs> yeah overuse injuries um are you're right like are definitely one of the most common injuries they're not the only injury like you can definitely have freak accidents but you don't see them very often mm. like i've I've only been in one race where I can literally remember running past. Um, actually, it was a friend who'd just l- like lost. Um, he'd sort of just looked the other way as he was running past another runner, stepped off the track, ended up sort of tumbling down a little like embankment, and actually ended up breaking a number of ribs. And that kind of injury, though, is like really rare in our yeah. sport, which is quite surreal considering that wide range of audience that we've just yeah. talked about and the yeah. nature of what we're trying to run on mm. often at speeds or at night or yeah so you're right but the overuse one I think is the topic for today because we just see it time and time again um, yeah I yeah. think it's really interesting it kind of does um give some insight into the mentality of trail runners as well I mean the ones that might be like getting these kind of overuse injuries um so the main things we're kind of talking about when we say overuse injuries is like um itb or knee um and then for running in general like the shin splints um and yeah yeah Yeah, and i think like as you know i do a lot of um consulting with athletes yeah so it's my other in my other life um I spend time on the phone with athletes and a lot of the work that I do is problem solving through not just the challenges that they're having in training and racing, but also the challenges that they're having in overcoming or understanding the injuries that they're experiencing. Mm. Um, and the other injury that I commonly, commonly see and I experience it a lot myself is some um, is the Achilles tendon issues. Yeah. So ITB, Achilles, knee pain, shin splints, I don't personally see as much. And I think that's just by the nature that trail running requires you to be using like so many different muscles um, mm. and that's also in your core stabilizing muscles um, it's by nature of like the uneven surface that you're on the softer surface that you're on the fact that you often use more hills so you're up and down the hills whereas road runners tend to be using just a uniform pattern of or muscle patterning as they run um, even on a trail like most people if I say it, we'll become aware of it. Like on a fire trail, for instance, the um, the left of the track slopes one way and the right of the track slopes the other way. Or you're on a single track and it slopes, you know, down to the left for a while and then suddenly it slopes down to the right for a while and that will, like, change the way your muscles are working. Whereas a road is generally pretty flat, yeah. <laughs> very level, um, doesn't have any, obviously, obstacles like we normally have on the trails. And people tend to be able to avoid the hills a little bit more, or the steepness of the hills. So overuse injuries like shin splints are much more common on those hard road surfaces that are unchanging. Yeah. 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 So um, 
given that that was kind of like the most common or one of the most common injuries was this overuse, um, I was really interested to find out that a lot of the advice that gets given for then how to treat these types of overuse injuries was like to well like strains especially the knee and ITB one they were saying about how you should foam roll a lot and give give yourself like lots of rest and and I know that's kind of um you do have elements of that in what you um teach or Preach. share <laughs> yeah. um but I know that your approach is also a little bit different um yeah so I was wondering if you could talk about that maybe maybe if we start with things like the well, knee and yeah the let's ITB. start with ITB and knee pain because I think that is probably the biggest one that I would ever see because they also like don't run on hills yeah and I know you say do run on hills <laughs> and people are like yeah. wait what <laughs> yeah I think I need to probably put a clause in here Jess and just explain my background and why I probably I'm sitting here feeling like I can talk about this, but also wanting people to understand where the limitations are of my knowledge and yeah. um, and practical practical ways of treating these injuries. So um, I come from a background of um, swimming, athletics, marathon running, and road running, and then became more and more involved in um, orienteering and then ultimately trail and ultra running. So. I've walked through the spectrum of a lot of injuries. Um, a lot of what I've come to teach about has come from those personal experiences, but that in itself has come from seeing injuries as an opportunity to learn rather than get frustrated. Not to say that there isn't at times frustration there, but I definitely see them as like, well, it's happening and now what can I learn from this and how can I help other people? Further to that, like I've got that background in medical research, so I, you know, have a very complex understanding of the anatomy and physiology of the human body and, and what it can and cannot tolerate these days. Um, and then over time, I've worked with, you know, probably thousands of athletes now, um, watching them go through <laughs> these common injuries and, and working alongside them and their health practitioners, so the physios and physiologists, doctors, trying to come to understand like how we can get them back on their feet so I guess in my eyes I see myself myself as like a portal in the middle of all of these service providers who can give maybe the more in-depth technical knowledge but I feel like I can sort of take hold of the hand of someone and lead them through that complex journey because one thing that I've experienced for myself is like when you have an injury and you're reaching out to all these different people, you get all this different advice and it can be really, really hard when you've got that emotional involvement in the injury to synthesize and work out how that applies for you as a person in amongst mm. your parenting or work life or desire mm. to be back racing in six weeks time or um, and I think a lot of the time these people have wonderful advice that's come from you know, really rich studies that have been done, but not always necessarily know the ins and outs of the sport of trail running and ultra running. And, um, you know, even for the hikers and other runners and people listening to this podcast that you're an, you're an individual and everyone will have bring their own individual <laughs> ability to recover and come back from injury. And so what I guess I see is sort of being someone who can keep back a little bit from the emotion and try and navigate that space and with that you learn so much and so 
hopefully that's why I'm doing this podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> um, but knees and ITB, like uh, that's a, it's a massive, massive challenge for trail runners and road runners. But um, I think it manifests so much stronger on a trail because the underlying issue that I believe happens with ITB and knee is that someone's core stability, so their deep abdominal muscles, their deep back stabilizer muscles, and their gluteal muscles and the deepest layers of those glutes um, have weakened. And that normally comes from desk jobs, driving cars, um, lifestyles where you don't really need your glute muscles particularly much. So walking, like if you walk a lot and you walk on pavements and you're not required to stabilize as you go, like you're not moving on that uneven terrain like we talked about, um, urban lifestyles generally bring on a weakening of your core muscles. So too will big volumes. So if you're the sort of runner who hasn't prioritized your strength training and you're just going straight into like large volume training, um, it can really, really sort of over time degrade that core muscle system. And it's interesting because I've been in like this toing and froing of how important is core strength and strength for trail runners because I always had, was flipping between like thinking, well, for instance, if I go and run on Mount Wellington and I take 12,000 steps one morning and I ran up and down Mount Wellington, like what is 20 step ups with a bit of weight in the gym going to do? Or lying on the floor doing my little glute bridges before I go out the door. But I've really had to like eat humble pie there and realize just how critical it is to keep that core strong. And it's not necessarily just about strengthening it to a point where the muscle fibers can sustain what you want to do it's actually about waking them up in the first place mm. <laughs> so for me a lot of the you know when I'm programming for people and I don't I don't coach a lot of people I do coach a few one-on-one it is absolutely integral that before their hard sessions they wake up that core system they do their glute bridges they you know get their transverse abdominal muscles engaged so that when they yeah. go out the door those muscles are like oh yeah i'm not in bed still i'm, I'm here i'm on the trail with you yeah and then when you do then take all those twelve thousand steps you're strengthening those fibers because they're working yeah then you come back you give them the rest and then by the time you do the next session and you wake them up again they're stronger than they were before yeah does that make sense yeah for sure and i'm i'm actually noticed and I, it actually started when I when I first started in the gym, but the connection between like your mind and muscle. So it's not just doing not just doing bridges, not just doing lunges, just because you know that you have to do it and it's part of the, the routine. But if you kind of make a connection with your mind to activate <coughs> that muscle, and when you're doing those exercises, to think like to put your fo- focus your attention on using it, I've noticed like a massive difference. Yeah. in that in strengthening but as well. man oh man that can be an incredibly frustrating long process Jess if those muscles have been asleep like mine were for <laughs> two three four years I kid you not yeah um I had knee I had ITB pain for three years and I saw that many physios and people who would massage your quads or um, stick pins around your knee I had cortisone in my knee because ITB if anyone's ever had that sharp, like knife-like pain in the front of your kneecap, that's ITB. Um, it typically comes on when people are on hills, um, when they've been 
or when they've been road running on a flat repetitive surface for a long, long time, like training for marathons. Um, yeah, when they try to step up steps or go down steps and they get that knife-like pain. It also comes on in ultra run runs really frequently so that people get mm. to 60, 70K and they're like, oh, I've never had knee pain in my life and now suddenly my knees feel like someone's sticking knives in them. That's ITB. Um, so I had three years of that. And if you look at every photo in that three-year period I had taking on my knee because my what ends up happening is that you if your core stabilizer muscles aren't working plus your glutes aren't working so your big muscles that are meant to power you for they're sleepy what tends to want to activate is your hip flexor it's also engaged it's not engaged but it shortens when you're sitting down a lot so if you're someone who goes for a run in the morning they don't have glute and core power so their hip flexors trying to do all the work um, that pulls on the band of muscle fiber running well so not muscle fiber it's not muscle fiber it's a fiber it's a fibrous band of connective tissue running down the side of your leg and it wraps into the front of your knee so as that muscle works it pulls on that fiber and it pulls that kneecap out outwards to the you know outside of your body laterally yeah laterally <laughs> laterally outwards yeah. not medially <laughs> inwards yeah um and it's that movement and it's only a small movement of that um, patella bone, the, the knee bone, but it means that it doesn't now track cleanly. So bone bangs on bone underneath. Um, it can pinch also the fat pad in the knee yeah. and, um, and it causes the most awful discomfort. The great news is it's not a great idea to keep running with it, but it's not actually... I won't call it life-threatening, but like life-changing if you were to keep running through it. It's just a really, really, really uncomfortable pain. Yeah. So say in an ultra run, for example, like if you get it and you can bear it, then it's not the end of the world to keep running. You're not doing terrible damage unless, like me, you have it for three years and then you have the risk of wearing out cartilage and bone in your knee and stuff like that. Not a good idea. Um, but the frustrating thing is... And especially, sorry, for me, when I am getting so many people who come to you with this problem is that they're not getting very good advice. And a lot of the time, you're right, they're told to not do anything. Well, it's kind of taking a selected approach, isn't it? It's like, oh, you've got ITB and that's this area, so just roll that area. But it's not really taking into consideration, like you're saying, with the building up the glutes. So if you're just resting and then rolling that area... Like you're not actually strengthening well, anything, you're, right. you're just kind of like you're right. loosening things up. <laughs> if you say to someone you have ITB syndrome, the first thing people are going to think of is that the iliotibial band, the ITB, the bit running down your leg is the problem. So they foam roll it and sometimes you get people who are brave enough to stick some dry needles below it down in your kneecap and um, tell you to strengthen your VMO, so the inside muscle on the inside of your knee, which is really, really important. And definitely if you've got no VMO muscle, then you're much more prone to ITB syndrome. But at the end of the day, the underlying cause of your knee pain is your weak glutes and your weak core. And the fact then that your hip flex is doing all the work, which tends to make it very, very short. It often has a number of very, very deep, deep, deep trigger points, like right down deep near the bone in your hip flexor. Um, sometimes your deep abdominal muscles, but the superficial ones can become really shortened as well, which can pull in that area as well. Um, and that's the bit that's pulling everything out of whack. 
So the only way to treat ITB is to get deep, deep release, normally with dry needles in your hip flexor and to then get on a strengthening program to get your glutes strong enough so that they're doing the power, not your ITB. If you rest and you don't treat this and you think, oh, I'll just rest it for two weeks and it'll go away, you will have this. Yeah, yeah, because people spend more time sitting down. Maybe they get on a bike, which is in a shortened hip flexor state. Um, They walk more, which actually is really hip flexor intensive, um, walking. Um, You know, they're driving to work and they're not actively commuting to work. And the problem just perpetuates. And like I said, it, it... that three years was so frustrating and amazingly when I found the right person who knew what to do that problem went away within a week Mm. so three years of discomfort went away in a week the pain but then I had to strengthen and this is what I was going to say where you said like turning the brain to the muscle that took me I kid you not nearly 12 months to be actually able to tell my brain to turn my deepest glute muscle zone either my whole bum wanted to go well actually originally nothing happened like it was just a total lights out then my whole bum wanted to go and then my hip flexor wanted to go when my bum was also going so to isolate the bum and not the hip flexor took a long time and then when I finally got it to wake up then I still had to strengthen it so you know if you're someone who has um no booty as Sarah called my booty I felt like (laughs) I felt like bragging in that moment. She said I had a booty because I was like, I've never had one in my life. But um, yeah, but you know, you, you potentially could be looking at a, a long, long process, but a very rewarding one. Yeah, right. For the injury prevention side. That's right. Um, mm. Yeah, that, that really fascinates me that that was, that was your journey because I was just up on the mountain a couple of days ago and something clicked that, that to help me get up a hill by focusing on my butt my yeah yeah, my like deep glute muscle it actually helped me but I was like not focusing yeah on there but then when I got home I've never had that experience where like my like I felt like so fatigued yeah but I felt it deep in the thing and I I think because I I have um basic (laughs) knowledge in anatomy from studying it at university so I could kind of envision um, the muscles of your yeah. butt and, and sort of think, okay, that's the one I'm trying to focus yeah. on and that's thing. But I was like, is that a, did I actually do anything just then by making that well, yes, connection? You, and then I felt it afterwards. You absolutely like, oh. did, Jess. And if you're one of the lucky ones, and I think because <laughs> you have a history of being in the gym and probably being aware of your glutes yeah, right. um, and probably not living too sedentary a lifestyle, like you, you, know, you run a lot, you walk a lot, you ride your bike a lot, you probably naturally... Have been able to keep that region engaged but it's really interesting like i feel like itb becomes more and more common as people get a bit older mm. and i think it is that accumulation of sedentary time you know mm. watching tv sitting on the couch like it doesn't mean that these people aren't doing their exercise and deservingly sitting on the couch but it is an accumulation of sitting down and mm. that will put your bum to sleep the other thing, interestingly, that puts things to sleep is trauma in the area around the pelvis um, and the hip socket. So I had, um, on the side that I've had all my problems on, I actually tore one of the ligaments in my hip uh, running a marathon back in 2007 and had to have it scoped. So they put like a little camera in and just take out all the rough and stuff in there. Anything that um, invades the hip socket 
and damaging the pelvis is like a light bulb off, like turning the light switches off on the glutes. Um, and that's actually more common, more recent knowledge. So at the time, like I was a poor uni student, I was moving to New Zealand within a week and I literally just got on the plane and forgot about it and just walked and jogged until everything started to feel like I could run again. <clears throat> but what I didn't realise I'd done during that time was had allowed my glutes, especially on that side, to completely disintegrate, mm. um, which was why it was also probably harder for me to come back from that place. But, you know, women who've been through childbirth and um, people who've had, like, hip, hip surgeries and things like that um, are probably more at risk of things like ITV. Mm. I'm really curious, Is so your Achilles injury, did that come from, that? did that stem from <coughs> ITV? Probably, yeah. Yep. So, um, yep, yeah, so that... And how I, long has that Achilles been going on for now? Well, so I've, I've had, like, a second bout of Achilles tendonitis for about seven months, which sounds like a long time. But if anyone's ever had Achilles problems, they will know that they take, like, a long time to get better. And the main reason for that is, like, they have a really poor blood supply. So it's really, really hard to get the things into that region that are going to help that region to heal. Mm-hmm. Um but, but prior to this, um, quite a few years ago, or two years ago, I also had Achilles tendonitis. And yes, it was at around the same time when I had a lot of like the knee problems. And it is, I believe Achilles is absolutely um, coming from the same underlying cause. So not, not primary cause, but the deeper underlying cause. And that is that you're generating your, too much power from your calves um, and so you're right because if you don't have a glute and a core system that works your calves are going to do a hell of a lot more work to try and power you Mm. and so you know that feeling like if you had gone up the mountain and not turn on your bottom muscles glute muscles my booty your booty (laughs) (laughs) when you got home what do you reckon would have been the next thing you would have felt my calves your calves exactly a lot of people complain about calves and and then if you were then going out a few days later and trying to do like a, a speed session or, or a tempo run, what do you reckon you would feel when you come back from that? Mm. Quads and calves, generally. Yeah. Most people will really struggle to power from their glutes when they're at speed if they haven't trained that process. Yeah. So Achilles tendonitis comes about because of a change in load, that's the primary cause. So a change in load can be stepping up your training too quickly or going from like zero to hero as in like you've been a 5K recreational jogger and then your friends invite you out to run for 40K around some trail in the hills and you haven't done anything like that. Or you change your shoes, so you went from running in your road, 10 mil drop, kind of Nike, more Adidas shoes, and then you buy like a pair of the latest, greatest, like Salomon four mil drop speed shoes for your trail running, that's a change in load. Um, So that's what normally will bring on the Achilles problem. But the underlying cause a lot of the time is that it's also um, perpetuated by this lack of core and glute power. So your calves are trying to do all that work. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So in my case, like I didn't really up my load 
very much what I think came was that I allowed my core system to become weakened by doing too much volume and not enough focus on keeping the core stable um, and the glutes powering. Yeah. So I guess that could be a kind of piece of advice. Like if someone was feeling good now and they hear about these overuse injuries and they're like, oh, I don't want to get those. (laughs) Like by kind of balancing, you believe, like strength, yeah exercises or the turning on of muscles with not trying to increase your load too much and not trying to change too many elements of your run too quickly so whether that's shoes or terrain or yeah yeah Yeah, i would say to people like you need to really switch your mentality um to what i would call prehabilitation as in you don't want to end up in rehabilitation you Mm. want to be preventing the need for rehabilitation. Yeah. Um, I, yes, I can say to people, look, you know, trail runners, for instance, if you can't do 25 single leg calf raises slowly and controlled on each leg, you don't have enough calf strength for trail running. If you can't lie on the floor and do a single leg glute bridge and be balanced and powerful and feel that glute engaging rather than your hamstrings and your quadriceps, you haven't got enough strength for trailing. Like I can, I can give you a few like boundaries, but I think everyone is slightly unique anyway. Mm-hmm. Like I know some people who don't have a big booty who have never been injured. I know people who can race every weekend just about and do ultras every like six weeks and never get injured. Um, mm-hmm. There are those anomalies. So the best thing that you can do is I think try and find like a physio or a um, physiologist or a strength and conditioning coach who understands runners and who can screen you. And it was really interesting when I got screened, like because of those moments that had turned off my right side, I had like half the power on my right that I did on my left, which is then why my Achilles was having to work harder on my right because it was trying to pick up the power deficit that was coming from that core on the right. Does that make sense? So I think everyone is a little bit different and, I think it's like, like I say, it's about changing your mindset and thinking like, what more can I learn about my body? Um, not seeing it as stressful, but seeing it as an opportunity for so much growth. Yeah, because it can be really tough. Oh, yeah. Like, especially <laughs> if you've put so much, um, you know, effort and attention on building and growing yeah. and, and getting stronger and then something like this comes on, Yeah. Um, dealing with that when you might be seeing it as like oh my god now I can't run yeah it can be really quite difficult yeah definitely and like when my Achilles came on this time round, like I'd you know just I'd, so I'd done Australia Australia I'd had some time off just you know jumping on my bike and climbing and you know playing and then I got back into my running and I was getting really fit and really excited about all these like adventures that I was going to do went out on a tour and the change in load probably that happened for me this time was actually just running at a really sl- like a much slower pace than what I was used to with guests on a rough trail in flatter shoes that I would normally run in. But running more rock towards my heels with the guests was just a change in load and a mm. load that my body wasn't used to. And that triggered Achilles tendonitis. So you're right, like seven months is incredibly frustrating to be out of action from where I wanted to be and was at that time. But how much I've learned from this experience of really 
facing Achilles tendonitis in the face and going, okay, like what do I need to learn from this? This is the second time round. What am I learning? How can mm. I use this period of time to get stronger, more resilient, um, more engaged in you know the prehabilitation process? Um, so I've been in the gym a lot. I've been learning so much about the weaknesses in my body. Um, the other thing is I've learned a lot about treating Achilles tendonitis. <laughs> so maybe something that we could share. Yeah, um, yeah. So coming back from ITB, like if we just quickly recap on that, it's about getting really good treatment in the hip flexor region and um, the preferably with dry needles and then reactivating the core. Achilles, on the other hand, is about most people deload them completely. Um, the thing about Achilles is... If the onset of the problem came from weak glutes and a change in load, if you then don't do anything and your glutes get weaker and you're not running and eventually one day you want to run again, you're going to have a point where there's going to be a change in load. Mm. So what you need to try and do when you're coming back from Achilles is to try and manage the load through the recovery process so that there's never a dramatic change in load. Yeah. The other thing with Achilles is because of the weak blood supply that they have, you can't load them too frequently. And the golden number that I've come to learn, thanks to research and thanks to my own experience, is that you can only load them every 72 hours with a high load. So high load is, um, and this is where your physios can help you getting the right exercises. So initially you begin just stay sedentary holding standing on your tippy toes and just holding that for a period of time and then when you when you can tolerate that without too much discomfort you begin like lowering yourself off a step you know so we call that eccentric and then when you can tolerate that then it becomes about concentric like up (laughs) movements yeah when you can do that then you got to go up and down when you can do that you add weight when you can do that then you start doing that faster when you can do that you start hopping yeah and so you need to keep changing that load because you're trying to get that tendon and the calf muscles um, um, back to the muscle patterning of running which is a a very big like intensive like force that goes through your leg as it hits the ground Mm. and then having to re-power up off the ground with a spring Um, yeah so that's that's the bit you're trying to get your tendon ready for but you can only do that every 72 hours Mm. the other thing in that is that you also need to keep running because you don't want that big change in load. So most people, yeah, they don't run. But then when they try and come back, their Achilles gets grumpy again Mm. and they end up back kind of in that sort of frustrating process and that's why they drag out. So what I came to learn was that if I... And I didn't at the beginning do too much running, like I'm talking maybe 5 to 10K max and trying to sort of stay on the hills because that's the load that I want my body to be able to do. Yeah, so like a softer terrain, but yeah. changing in, yeah. in I'd say elevation. friendly hills <laughs> on a friendlier trail. Yeah. Um, certainly dead flat was the worst thing I could have done for yeah. my Achilles. And actually downhill at the beginning, I found really hard on the Achilles. Flat still will probably, <clears throat> excuse me, piss, piss it off. Um, uphill on unevenish terrain, rolling around friendly trails, perfect. So, um, you know, now I can get up to 20K on a longer run and I can do some hill tempo and a few things like that, but I can only do it every 72 hours. What I worked out worked for me was to run. um, I signed up to the cheapest 
zap gym that had a calf raise machine in it and I would eventually run and finish at the gym and do my calf exercises. Sometimes I would jog home or other times I'd stop there if the Achilles was done and mm. I could tell. And I also had a limit of pain in my brain. So I ranked my pain on a 10 out of 10 scale or a scale of 10. And when I first got the really bad Achilles pain that sort of finally brought me to a stop, I called that 10. I allowed myself to run if my pain on waking was less than four and on running was less than five. So I, was, I knew that I would never be running with no pain, but I needed to kind of keep that load happening. Mm. And I could only do it every 72 hours. So for me, it worked better to run and exercise my tendon on the same day and then rest it completely for two days oh, and okay. then go back out on the third day. Yeah. And I just kept doing that. If you break that routine and you go, ah, she'll be right, I've got a case of FOMO and I need to get back out there, and um, you're just setting yourself back further. It became a very much a meditative process coming back from the Achilles mm. um, and a test of resilience and perseverance, um, and it's paid off. Mm. Yeah. And it does allow you to build yourself in other areas too yeah. that otherwise you when you would have been out there running and you're just like yeah instead of just sitting there being like hmm, where am I gonna spend my time now yeah like it forces you to find right. other things that then 1495 was very well earned or you know um good value for money I put it that way in the gym like I, I have actually really enjoyed um doing a lot of like research and really thinking about strength and conditioning. Um, I've also come up with a lot of programs that I can do at home that can get my heart rate up and get, get my booty working, um, <laughs> you know, and using that whole time as healing. But, but I, what I would say to people, if you, and everyone experiences injuries, and that's, that's the first thing, everyone will experience injuries at mm. some point. You will be a freak in nature if you don't. Um, so you need to kind of mentally deal with them mm. um, and see that as part of the process of growing and, and becoming a better person and a better runner. Um, but then you do need to, yeah, really look at it as like a science experiment um, yeah. if you really want to come out the other side not frustrated. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a question that I'm super curious about and it's what I found as I started um, I was training for Kokoda and I was kind of like building up my loads um, and was it started with just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to start doing, you know, the group training things. And then I realized like they were just hiking, we were doing hiking training. And then I realized that if I incorporated strength into um, like going to the gym and doing weights, if I incorporated that, it actually helped with like running and with hiking. So I thought, oh, I'll start doing that. Um, so then a couple of months later, then I incorporated that. And then I thought, oh, now I'm want to go out and do stuff with my friends. So I had my gym routine and then I had my training for the Kokoda and I thought, well, I also want to be social and like go for runs and stuff with my friends. So I'll do that as well. And it got to the point where it was a lot and I lost sight of what a baseline was. Like I just forgot, I don't even, I didn't even know what a normal amount of exercise was anymore because I thought... If I go to the gym in the morning, I'm doing my strength. If I do something in the afternoon, I'm doing, you know, my training in my aerobic or I'm hanging out with friends and doing that every single day. Um, I didn't think in my mind I wasn't overdoing it, mm. but I, 
I know that that's a common thing for people is that maybe they're building up, they're building up, and then they lose sight of what what normal what is. Normal is. Um, it's a really hard. That's a really hard question, Jess. Um, Asking the tough ones. I know today, this is good. I'm loving it. You're challenging <laughs> me as we go. Um, but what I can say is that normal really is different for everyone. Mm. Um, it is about where you've come from and how long that journey you've been, like how long you've been on that journey for. You know, yes, I've had my fair share of niggles. Yes, I'm coming out the other end of a frustrating one now. But I have a history of running since I was 15. Like I've got, you know, 15 odd years of running behind me as opposed to your story then where you had like four months of more focused training. Like I've always... I'm not saying you didn't do stuff before, but your normal needs to be in comparison to your journey. My body will tolerate a higher load than yours would in that situation. Mm. Even if that journey had been 12 months or two years, it's still a different load that you'll come from. Um, It's also about how much of the, the good stuff you're doing in there alongside your loading. How much are you doing prehabilitation? How much sleep do you get every night's sleep i've just learned a lot about sleep listening to someone else's podcast recently that we should share on social <laughs> we will share that on social media but you know if you're not getting seven eight hours a night you're not recovering mm. um so you know it's it's about everything else that you're doing around there mm. that can support your normal because if you're if you're like the athletes that i worked with in the ais who you know maybe do one unit of study maybe do a day a week you know like a job um but the rest of the time they're training and recovering and eating and sleeping and you know your normal is huge um and that's really hard as well as an individual to remember that your normal will change yeah um and that's where i think i fell in the trap before this injury was that i was so used to training for like ultra trail australia 100k loading but during that time, I'd forgotten that Graham had taken the reins a lot at home. Graham was really like supporting me to get enough sleep and get my recovery and not overwork and not put that much stress on myself. Mm. And now I was like, oh, you know, I'm free of all that. I can work and I can train and I can play and I can be a daughter and I can, you know, and I just didn't have the buffer of resilience that, you know, um, normal needed. Mm. <laughs> that makes sense. So... Yeah, normal is normal's an interesting one. And normal also, you do lose sight of normal. And we were talking about like coming back from our challenges with like eating, like eating disorders and anorexia. Like that's a, another case of where you lose sight of what is a normal plate of food, yeah. what's a normal lunch to eat. Um, sometimes I even wonder if I still know what normal is, but I know what my body now needs, whether that's normal or not. Um, so I think normal is also about blocking out the noise of what everyone else is doing yeah. um, and really just focusing in on yourself. Um, my summary to your question on normal is that the longer you can take to build yourself up to where you want to be, the better. The more patience you have, the better. Mm. Um, if you are willing to sit in that journey for two, five years even, you will be invincible if you do it right. Like if you do the work in prehabilitation and you get your sleep and mm. not saying that's doable, but if you could create that environment, you would be invincible. Um, 
but if you're wanting to be a superhero and go from zero to hero in a short period of time, um, yeah, you're going to be shaking the grounds of normal and that's where the injury risk will kick in really mm. strongly. Mm. Yeah. Um, I probably like <clears throat> wanted to to put it in there as well is around um, the differences between men and women. I think it's really important topic. Yeah. On lots of reasons. Um, in terms of like what type of injuries men get yeah. in comparison to women, or yeah, and then I think in the prevention of yep. injuries, Jess. Um, you're right, like there is a bit of a different pattern of injuries in men and women. Um, I think men are, men tend to get a little bit more of the overuse, so like the bony injuries a bit more or like the calf strain or the muscle tear, like that kind of injury. Mm. Women tend to get more of those core with the underlying core weakness as the cause mm-hmm. so achilles itb like those sorts of problems tend and lower back problems tend to be a little bit more feminine ah uh, that was the one as well yeah speaking to Roz and she was like because i said to her what do you reckon the biggest common injuries and she said especially with aging lower back ones because yeah. i was saying yeah. i get like pain sometimes in my shoulder when i run yeah. and i'm like why do i have pain in my shoulder and she was like linked to yeah. Back. Yeah, and aging, aging is another topic. Like men versus women versus young versus old. They're, mm. they're the sort of I guess differences that we see with injuries. I mean, the aging one is a pretty simple one in that um, as you get older, your hormones change, and that brings with it a changing of your bone densities mm. and your joint mobilities and joint strength, and you start to lose muscle. It's much harder to hold muscle on an older body than a younger body so it brings it just perpetuates that core issue that we were talking about before the core strength the glute strength challenges um so i think that's why as we age even at my age um my bone strength is not probably what it was when it was 15 or 19 um in my hormones is not you know, quite what they were when I was 20, 25. Um, you know, for my mum who's 63, um, you know, it's a total different challenge again. Like mm. post-menopause, it's another world altogether. So it's why it's really important to change that version of normal, to, to work with your psychology, to work with your B state, as I call it, to learn like where you should be where your normal is how your perceptions change and to be okay with that mm. um like i said to her the other day i certainly can't do the training that i used to do as a marathon runner i would totally break myself now and i have to be okay with that and i have to be okay with the fact i can't probably run within half an hour of the time that i used to run back then and it's okay um so aging yeah my my comment on that is about like monitoring your normal and and being okay with it Men versus women, um, other than the, the fact that the injury patterns are a little bit different, so is the need for the strength side. Women, as my physio said to me the other day, have to really fight for strength, have to really fight to put on muscle and hold muscle. Um, men really have to fight for their mobility and flexibility compared to women. Um, mm. So with that, 
comes a difference in the way you train and you prehabilitate. Men probably could get away with one strength session a week and it might just be the 20 minutes before they do their harder sessions or their long run. Mm. Women probably should be doing it every other day. <laughs> Which is actually super interesting because you do see more women going more towards wanting to do like the yoga, yoga and, Pilates. And, the, and, the, and men <laughs> yeah. being like, I want to go to the gym. But it actually it really it would should be, be more beneficial if yeah. everyone swapped. Yeah. Okay, all men, yoga, yeah. women. And all men <laughs> should be mobilizing before they go out the door so that they can work through their full ranges of movement. Because in when they can't get through their full range of movement, then they're more likely to then yeah just become hip flexor dominant and mm. not so they might have them they might actually have the ability to turn on their glutes and have the strength there to hold their core but they can't get into the range of motion that allows them to do that when they're running mm. so it's like a different it's a different challenge so um men do your yoga and pilates women go to the gym yeah yeah and then I think like the other thing is like I talked about the 72 hours with the Achilles and that's a really really important one to remember so any any region that you damage that has a poor blood supply like tendons Mm. um it is going to be that 72 hours you can load them Mm. um I was talking to my physio who works with a lot of the Olympic rowers um who get a lot of back stress fractures so bony stress fractures in their back she can keep them rolling every second day because bones have a higher blood supply. So their healing pattern is different. So if it's more a bony problem, you can probably be loading every 48 hours. Um, if it's muscles, they have a very rich blood supply. So you can probably do low loading at times through that like muscle tear or whatever it is as it's getting back towards its healing state, but you just can't do too much Mm. in that session does that Mm. make sense Mm -hmm. so every region is a little bit different and that's why it's really really important to to not go oh i've had achilles tendonitis and i could run every 72 hours and therefore i apply that to my itb problem or and that's why it's really important to like when you notice these kind of niggles coming on to really jump on them quickly and to get really good advice and to navigate that willingly yeah. rather than sticking your head under the blanket and going, she'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> It'll get better. And we actually um, might put in the show notes some of the, because we have a few, real, <coughs> a few really good physios in yeah. our community as well who yeah. do heavy work. you're right, Jess. Actually, I didn't even think, think about that. Yeah. Yeah, so on my um, website, I've got a recommended service providers page um, yeah. and I'm also always open to new people reaching out and offering their services and, you know, if it's someone that, I'm feeling connection to in their values and I, I put those people up there. Yeah. So there's podiatrists, dietitians, psychologists, physios. Yeah. If you're looking just for people that you can trust, like... And all around Australia too, yeah. don't you? have yeah. Oh, there, yeah. So yeah. It's national-wide. Um, some people, like, based here and can work nationally and I've tried to in represent Tassie. that. <laughs> 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 um, yes. <laughs> but, um... Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say that um, a lesson that I learned through working at the AIS, um, the Institute of Sport in Canberra, was just the breadth and depth of the athlete support networks around them. And I'll keep coming back to it because a lot of the times when I work with people on the phone, they're like, oh, I'm not an athlete. Like, I don't need a massage every fortnight or I don't need to go to the physio or I don't need to go to the gym because 
you know, there for athletes. If you have a goal and it's a goal that challenges you or even remotely challenges you, you are an athlete. If you're using your body most days, you are an athlete and you need to respect that and you need to put a support network around you to allow you to do that. Um, so for me, <laughs> I feel like I'm I know you're talking you. to the podcast <laughs> and I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking at the dishwasher, Jess. Um, no, but it, like, it is true. Like, I always feel... That can be a really hard leap though. Yeah. I think for, for because it, you go from being like, oh, it's just this like fun thing that I do. And then you're like, wait, actually, maybe I want to take it a bit more. Yeah. More, but it's not just the training time. It's and it's all the other, it's oh, the holistic totally, of training as well. And I'm like, yeah. I did. I had my first massage like two weeks ago with Ree. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I will run everywhere. So <laughs> it's so it's good. It's true though, just like. But it helps. Somehow. I've come from by nature of the goals I had of like making it to world championships and you know like I set the goals pretty high and at the time I felt like I could justify having that support network and tapping into them I mean even then it was still hard I had to sort of mentally get off the fact that it was going to cost me 80 dollars for a massage or whatever it was I just had to to grit my teeth and do it because I could see it in the bigger picture of my goals yeah. now I'm just an active person that has a few like whimsical adventurous goals but I'm not you know stepping up to race at a world championships and I feel guilty leaving work early once a month to go and have a massage and I feel guilty even though I've got an Achilles problem going to the physio because I'm like "Ah, I'm not an athlete anymore but I am like Mm. I'm demanding something of my body every single day Mm. and um so I'm also having to really like fight the little like annoying imp that's in my brain that says you don't need this um so I hope that like everyone can can really like allow themselves that I mean it's part of being compassionate with yourself and yeah yeah so important yes so awesome um one final my final word on injuries this is one I learned from my physio the other day Because I was saying to her like how I'm, she asked me what I thought I needed to do to get from where I think I'm at, which is like 70% better to being 100% better. And I said like, I don't really know. Like I feel like maybe sometimes I'm too cautious that I get this pain and I'm not sure whether it's a pain I should run through or a pain that's Mm. just from being on my feet all day. And anyway, this conversation eventually led to, I asked her um, about stress. I've noticed in these seven months that in the times when I've been under a lot of stress, albeit often positive, my pain is greater in my Achilles my, and what I feel like I can load is lower. When I've been at Cradle Mountain having a three-day mini escape with Graham and I've run every day and often had very little pain. Mm. Um, so she said to me that, there is clear evidence that shows that cortisol heightens the responses from your pain neurons. So you will actually legitimately feel more pain when you are stressed. And one thing I also notice on tours is that when you take people away from stress 
and you're giving good sleep and you're giving good food and you're giving them some happy times and flashback to <laughs> Japan when we were just soaking in onsen. It's like, why can I run for six hours? <laughs> Not six hours, like four yeah. hours, but yeah. or like over two hours for seven days in a row and feel totally good. And it's like, yeah, because you're stress running, but low. then you're just like, stress. Out. Stress will. Stress will be the biggest difference between you recovering from an injury or not, mm. or not getting injured at all in the first place. Like, um, so stress is real. Um, the physiological response of stress will change your hormones dramatically. And one of the biggest stresses is not sleeping properly. Mm. Evidence that I heard recently um, about men um, is that if a male has had less than seven hours sleep a night, like ongoingly through their adult life, that by the time they reach retirement age, it's like they're 10 years older. The aging process is, is enhanced by 10 years mm. if they simply haven't had sleep. And the main reason for that is that they have a dramatic drop in their testosterone. So their t- testosterone levels might be like that of a 60-year-old even when they're 50. Right. purely because they haven't had the sleep so someone's ability to recover and a male especially to recover from injuries is going to be dramatically affected by stress because of that drop in testosterone um so really really important i think for people to i think because injuries can be a stressful time like people tend to kind of um and they and you can feel like you're out of control like you've lost that normal routine and lifestyle that you might have had and now you're trying to adapt to a new one and that can be a really disconcerting time and I think people can kind of flip too hard into overload mode um trying to control that feeling Mm. um and also get back quicker but one of the best ways you can get back quicker is just try and cut that stress down a little bit even the positive ones the ones you can deal with um good food good sleep good times um and you know and then get get enough rest in there yeah yeah well, I reckon that was being super helpful. I know I've learnt a lot. So I'm sure that the <laughs> oh, I feel like I always just go on a rant. So I really like apologize to people, but I, I definitely can see how much I've learnt from from this injury now. Um, mm. And also, writing the book that I'm writing at the moment is really forcing me to to reflect a lot and to learn the lessons now that I probably should have learnt when they happened. Um, and to sit with like the emotional discomfort and be okay with that. Yeah. So I think that uh, this podcast, I hope, is a bit of a summary of like what I've learned and can help other people. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. But um, final thing, we uh, we want feedback, team. Yeah. Like we, um, we feel like we can help you more when we know what help you want. So I don't want everyone to be about like, teaching and education because I think there's some really rich stories out there so as well if you know people that we have to podcast and get their story heard even if it's you um, then we want to know them Mm. and also sharing the podcast with friends and family because we can kind of see from how many listens like which ones are the most popular and that actually it does kind of help us as well to see what Mm. you you're really loving and 
and want to hear more of so yeah interestingly yeah. enough the one on hill running has been the most popular hasn't it yeah 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 almost so. like three thousand, which is we're very excited yeah. <laughs> it's very surreal we're small but what's it small but succeeding as the telstra business awards people call us so um yeah no thanks so much to everyone um yeah. we love the feedback i would love to take you guys on a running tour to albania italy or tasmania just um, take everyone yeah. Anyone that listens to the podcast, think yeah. come. And if you can't decide, <laughs> just, just come on all of them. Um, but they are a really great opportunity to run on a trail and impart knowledge and education. Like, it's amazing how much I think we all grow and learn on those mm, tours. So, for yeah. sure. Definitely life changing. Yeah. And thanks to all the support for, from people to Find Your Feet, like our retail store yeah. that we also have here at Find Your Feet. Um, it's you know been an amazing journey and the podcast is supported and sponsored by find your feet we couldn't do it without them and we don't want other sponsors on the podcast we want these to be a very real and authentic need to share information so yeah yeah, yeah. cool thanks jess <laughs> thanks.